Good morning, Alex and friends. I'm Connie. Today is Thursday, September 28th, 2023, and you're listening to Alex's News. Starting off with the weather today, it's going to be fairly warm in Riverside with a high of just under 85 degrees and a low of 80. Coming up on today's episode of Alex's News, we will be discussing some serious political events happening in our nation's capital. House Republicans kickstart their first impeachment hearing against President Biden with a specific eye on alleged financial gain. Meanwhile, a potential government shutdown is looming over us as both Congress and the president race against the clock to find a funding agreement and avert economic fallout. On the environmental front, a fresh report indicates mammals could be bracing for extinction in approximately 250 million years as Pangea Ultima takes shape. In education news, the Biden administration is taking steps to shield students from heavy debt and low pay through the implementation of the gainful employment rule. Stay tuned for all this and more on Alex's News. Thanks for joining us. Let's begin with the top story of the day. House Republicans have initiated their first impeachment inquiry hearing into President Biden. Elias, what can you tell us about these developments? Well, Connie, these proceedings are certainly causing a political storm. Different sources, including NBC News, ABC News, USA Today, and another included report relay similar findings, stating that the House Oversight Committee drove the preliminary hearing of the GOP's impeachment inquiry. This inquiry is focused on investigating accusations that President Biden and his son, Hunter Biden, financially benefited from their family's foreign business dealings. So, Elias, who were the witnesses at this hearing? The hearing included four witnesses, Connie, three chosen by Republicans, including a forensic accountant, a former assistant attorney general, and a law professor. Democrats called a constitutional law professor to testify. The Republican witnesses argued that more data is needed, particularly regarding the Biden family's financial transactions, to draw definitive conclusions. Should we expect further investigations in this regard? That's correct, Connie. House Republicans led by Chairman James Comer have vowed to subpoena bank records and other documentation related to Biden and his brother James. They believe these records could provide vital evidence to their case. And what has been the response from the Democrats in the White House? It's been quite vocal, Connie. Democrats have expressed that Republicans lack the evidence to warrant an impeachment hearing, branding this as an act of vengeance post-Trump impeachment. The White House has persistently dismissed these assertions. They recently released a 15-page memo to counter the GOP's allegations and have referred to the hearing as a political stunt and a witch hunt. Given the claims, are there any suggestions for a potential breach of law by the president or his son? Regarding that point, Connie, Republicans have alleged bribery and improper financial gain. However, while there is evidence suggesting that Hunter Biden and his associates profited from foreign business deals, there is no concrete proof at this point that Joe Biden personally benefited. 
Witnesses at the hearing stated that further investigation is required. Has there any political response about this hearing from those outside of the GOP? Absolutely, Connie. The hearing has been criticized by Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who called it a waste of time. In general, this inquiry has sparked controversy, and the discussion has extended well beyond the political divide. So we can expect to be hearing more on this in the time to come? Definitely, Connie. Although there has been no direct evidence produced yet, there's a clear indication from the Republicans that additional impeachment hearings can be expected in the future. That covers our first story of the day. Thank you, Elias, for your reporting. We'll keep our audience updated on further developments pertaining to this hearing. My pleasure, Connie. We're moving on to our second story of the day, discussing the very real risk of a government shutdown. Our very own Grace is with us today to unpack what this could mean for the country. Grace, do you mind giving an overview of the situation? Sure, Connie. The basic rundown is this. If Congress and the President fail to agree on funding legislation, we're looking at another shutdown. This means non-essential federal work would come to a halt until an agreement is reached. A similar situation happened in 2018-2019 over funding for a border wall, which led to the longest shutdown in U.S. history. The threat of a shutdown isn't anything new. But what are some of the implications we might see if a shutdown does occur? Economically, the consequences can be quite severe. Drawing from the U.S. Travel Industry Association's analysis, it was estimated that for each day of a shutdown, the travel sector loses $140 million. This represents a significant hit to the economy and could lead to widespread job losses in the sector. Those figures sound quite alarming. Would a shutdown affect people trying to access government services? Yes, and that's another significant impact. Delays can be anticipated for anybody applying for government assistance, and some federal offices may also have to close or reduce operating hours. So there are potential wide-ranging impacts. Are there any parts of the government that would be insulated from this? For the most part, the Supreme Court and federal judiciary would continue to operate normally for at least the first two weeks of a shutdown. This is due to the Supreme Court relying on non-annual appropriations for their budget. However, this is limited, and if the shutdown draws out, the judiciary could also start to feel the impact. It sounds like this is shaping up to be a snowball effect. But what's the potential impact on the wider economy and stock markets? That's a bit harder to predict. A prolonged shutdown could undermine investor confidence and cause turbulence in financial markets. However, the extent of this would largely depend on the duration of the shutdown and the perceived stability of government operations. And where is this information coming from? This comprehensive overview is brought to us by the Associated Press, supplemented by insight provided by the Las Vegas Sun newspaper. This was a very enlightening conversation, Grace. Thank you so much for shedding light on such a complex situation. 
My pleasure, Connie. As always, it's important to stay informed. Now moving to our third story of the day. A rather startling but significantly important study published recently in Nature, geoscience suggests we might be looking at a grim future for mammals, humans included. I have Elias, our specialist correspondent for environmental and geological matters, with us to shed more light on the findings. Elias, could you give us an overview of the study and why it is causing such a stir? Certainly, Connie. This study posits a frightening scenario where mammals could be halfway towards extinction in about 250 million years due to the formation of a predicted supercontinent, Pangaea Ultima, by examining data on tectonic movements and incorporating atmospheric and geological conditions, researchers have provided a potential future map of this supercontinent. Alarmingly, the study indicates that only between 8% to 16% of the total land mass would be habitable for mammals, drastically less than the current 66% we have today. That does indeed sound alarming. Can you expand on the factors leading to this harsh environment on Pangaea Ultima that the study talks about? Absolutely. The conditions anticipated on Pangaea Ultima are due to a combination of factors. There would be increased heat levels, a rising concentration of carbon dioxide triggered by volcanic eruptions, and a stronger and hotter solar energy output. This hostile environment would make it challenging for mammals to find food and water, which could lead to their extinction. Interestingly, the study also emphasizes the role of climate change, suggesting our current global warming could hasten these dire conditions. Now, Elias, this study is being seen in conjunction with another piece of research by the University of Bristol. How does this second study relate to the findings of the Nature Geoscience research? This other study, Connie, supports the initial one by using supercomputer climate models to predict an escalation of climate extremes after the continents merge to form Pangaea Ultima. The situation following this would be marked by intense heat, aridity, and uninhabitability for both humans and mammals. This is primarily because these species haven't evolved to withstand such extensive heat exposure. Looking at the wider picture, Elias, what does the formation of Pangaea Ultima imply for global climate change? That's a key point, Connie. The formation of this supercontinent would actually accelerate climate change. The fusion of massive land masses could provoke increased volcanic activity, pushing carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere even higher and therefore promoting further global warming. Adding to this, the sun is predicted to emit more energy and grow brighter over time. This, in turn, could drive temperatures upwards even more the study signifies that if temperatures reach 40 to 50 degrees Celsius, it could ultimately trigger the extinction of humans and other species. So, these two studies taken together essentially highlight the immediate need to tackle climate change effectively? That's exactly right, Connie. Both studies underscore the immense challenges mammals will face due to the formation of Pangaea Ultima and strengthen the call for urgent climate change action to alleviate the potentially disastrous effects on Earth's ecosystems 
and biodiversity. Quite the wake-up call for us all. Thank you, Elias, for the insightful report. As we continue on with our fourth and final segment of the day, let's dive into a new rule that the Biden administration is keen on implementing. This rule is projected to defend students against college programs that might result in exorbitant debt and low pay. Grace, could you break this all down for us? Absolutely, Connie. This rule, known as the Gainful Employment Rule, was initially proposed during the Obama administration. It would be most pertinent to for-profit colleges and certificate offerings at more conventional universities. The Federal News Network gave us an insightful report about it. Interesting. And what is the main goal of this rule, Grace? The rule is based on two primary tests. Connie. The first one will weigh the level of student debt against their earnings post-graduation. Essentially, to clear this test, programs will need to ensure that the annual loan payments of their graduates are no more than 8% of their gross income or 20% of their discretionary income. And the second test, Grace? The second key assessment involves ensuring that at least half of a program's graduates are earning more than the average income of working adults in their state who only have a high school diploma. I see. Now what happens if a program falls short of passing one or both of these tests? Good question, Connie. Programs that fail either of these tests need to warn their students about the potential risk of losing federal aid. Further, if these programs fail the same test twice in a three-year period, they lose access to federal aid completely. All right. And when will this rule be applied? The rule is slated to take effect from July 2024 onwards, Connie. Anticipations are high, as it's expected to protect approximately 700,000 students per year. That's quite a number, but is everyone on board with this rule? Well, Connie, it's received a mixed response. Borrower advocates applaud the regulation as a vital protection for students. However, there's criticism that it unevenly targets for-profit colleges and overlooks other critical issues like wage discrimination and limited program options. Looking forward, what's the impact of this new rule meant to be, especially for students? The Biden administration sees this rule as a crucial measure in ensuring students can get quality education without being mired in heavy debt or having minimal job options after graduation. So the end goal seems to encourage better financing of education and economic outcomes for students. That's insightful, Grace. This topic surely covers a lot of ground, and I'm sure we all are waiting to see the eventual outcome of implementing this rule. Good reporting, Grace, and thank you for this deep dive into the new gainful employment rule and its implications for education in America. You're welcome, Connie. It was my pleasure to share this information today. That's all we have for now. Today's episode was made by Alexander King with GPT-4, GPT-3.5 Turbo, the 11 Labs Text-to-Speech API, and the Google Cloud Text-to-Speech API. I hope you have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow, Alex.